I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word as we read uh, from verse 41 through the end of chapter 2 of the book of Acts. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Please be seated. So taking a look at this passage of scripture today, it speaks to us, I think, about the nature of the church and particularly about the idea that the church is made up of people who have been saved, of regenerate members who belong to the church. In fact, the passage that I've read to you starts and ends with that very idea. In verse 41, it says, the ones who were added were the ones who were baptized, who were the ones who had received his word, the word of the sermon that Peter preached that was evangelistic, that called people to come and to be converted uh, into the, the body of Christ. And then it ends in verse 47 by saying that the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Verse 41, verse 47, that forms an inclusio. Hey, it's a seminary chapel service. I got to throw something out there for the professors uh, to hear a word like inclusio. That just means it starts. I gave drip to those of you who were students. <laughs> Inclusios for the faculty, okay? It just means, just means that it starts and ends with the same thing that brackets uh, uh, content that's in the middle that gives you a strong indication of what the theme is here, of what the idea is behind what's happening. And so we have that happening here in these bookends uh, that speak about the idea of a regenerate church. Uh, we have a description of what that kind of church can be like when the members of the church are regenerate. Now, let me just say for a moment that the contrast between the idea of a regenerate church is the idea of a mixed body church, a church that contains some people who have been saved, <clears throat> but also contains some people who have not. They're included not just in the group of people who are gathered to hear the sermon. Every church that has public worship services hopes that people will come to hear the gospel who are not yet believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every church hopes for that whenever they are publicly proclaiming the word of God. And I don't know of a single church that puts people at the door who are checking membership cards or like scanning QR codes to see if you're legit to be able to come in. Nobody does that. But what we're talking about is not the membership of the audience. We're talking about the membership of the congregation. Who are those who belong 
to the church, belong to the congregation of the church? Who are those for whom the pastors of the church have pastoral responsibility? And who are those who have the privileges of membership within the body of the church? There are only two ways to go about that. One of those is to say, Only people who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, who have accepted the gospel, have been saved, only those people can be members of the church. Or you look and you say, we have in our church membership people who have been saved and people we hope will be saved. A mixed body of people who are in the church. Baptists believe in the idea that the church should be made up only of those who are regenerate. I love the way John Bunyan said it. He said that the church should be made up of what he called visible saints. And here's what he meant by that. The best that we can do is say that we're trying to have a regenerate church membership. Amen? Because people will lie to you and people will be confused. And the most that you can do is, is to say, as God gives us help, to the degree that it's possible, we're only going to admit into the membership of the church people who look like they're saints, people who seem to be Christians, people who profess that they've received the gospel and live a lifestyle that seems to give evidence that that is true. And so that body of visible saints is what they had in Jerusalem. I just want to point out to you that it says that they are adding to the number of the church people who are being saved. Salvation, not not birth, new birth. Salvation is the action that brings people into the body of the church. Now, I want us to look at what happens in the middle here between these two areas that assert the idea of a regenerate church membership. Uh, Gosh, Baptists like me get nervous about preaching this passage of Scripture. There are some parts that it feels Pentecostal. (laughs) And there's a spot or two where it almost feels communistic. And uh, so with fear and trepidation, uh, I lead you into the matter in between verses 41 and 47. We take a look at that together because I think there's some good stuff here who will help us to understand why it's great to have a church made up of people who actually know Jesus. There are things that might happen in a church like that that are worth yearning for. Let's take a look and see what it says. It says in verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Can we look at another inclusio here, an inclusio in an inclusio? Because if you'll look down at verse 46, it says, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. So let me give you a few things out of that bracket that give you some hope. In a regenerate church... You can dare to hope that people will love each other. Shocking, I know. But it does happen sometimes that you're able to see people uh, in fellowship 
having meals together, breaking bread with one another. From house to house, it says in verse 46, they're taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. I know that you've heard stories about churches that were at each other's throats. Maybe you've lived through some of that. Ain't no kind of hurt like church hurt. It leaves scars. But ain't no kind of love like church love either. It heals scars. It emboldens people, gives them courage and worth and a hope to endure almost anything. If the way the cards fall for you is that your first ministry assignment is a church of people acting like they're not regenerate, maybe because they're not. If your first ministry assignment is one of church hurt, Please don't quit there. What a tragedy it would be for you in ministry to experience only church hurt and to stop before you can get to church love. Because what amazing blessings are in store for the person who gets to serve a church like that. So glorious, life-defining, wonderful, and amazing thing to be loved by a congregation of people who truly love Jesus and love one another. You can dare to hope for that with a regenerate church. You can dare to hope because the Holy Spirit's alive in these folks, and the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so a regenerate church is one that gives you hope for that. Also, regenerate church is a church that gives you hope for a people who are hungry for biblical truth. Look at what it says here in verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Tells us that they were, um, that, that they were in verse 46, they're continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and taking meals together. So, they're in a place where they desire to study the Word of God. Now listen, that doesn't mean they're always happy with your sermons. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I preach through books of the Bible. That's the way we do preaching ministry at First Baptist Farmersville. It is First Baptist Farmersville. It's not First Baptist Hogwarts. Uh, Matt Hensley is the origin of that whole, that whole thing. If you don't know Matt Hensley, I envy you. And, um, and our, our, our meeting house was built in 1900. It's a little bit ornate. And so he refers to it as Hogwarts, like the Harry Potter uh, thing is the, is the story behind all of that. And that I sort of tolerated, but then he started calling me Dumbledork. And, um, and that I just find hard to forgive. So pray for me, if you would, please. Um, Anyway, they're, they're at First Baptist Farmersville. Um, you know, I, I keep track of, this, of the books I've preached through over the course of 23 years there. 
And I sent out an email a couple of years ago and said, folks, here are some of the books I haven't preached through and be praying for me as I plan my sermon calendar for the next year. And um, one of the books on that list was Leviticus. And I had one of my deacons uh, email me and say, Brother Bart, I hope I'm dead before you get to Leviticus. (laughs) And I said, Leviticus it is. That's next. (laughs) Not because I wanted my deacon to die. I've got... I've got, I've got good deacons, and I'm thankful for this man. Uh, but because, as I said, you know, it took some preparation for them to get ready for the idea that there was Leviticus. And I spent, uh, I spent about, because, you know, some of them weren't really sure. They'd made it to about halfway through Exodus in February on their Read the Bible Through the Year plan, and they'd given up there. And they really, they knew there were books that came after that. They just weren't sure what they were. Uh, and so, and so I spent a, a, a month and a half before at the end of every sermon saying, you know, we finished this book and we're going to be doing Leviticus. And, and I'm telling you this, you're going to love Leviticus or I'm going to die trying one or the other before we get, and I'm still alive. So, uh, you know, I think we succeeded there with that. I got people coming up all the time saying, I didn't know Leviticus was this wonderful. This is amazing. I'm so enriched and encouraged by that. Uh, I I did have somebody who kept complaining and saying, can you finish Leviticus sometime soon, please, and go on to something good. But Matt Hensley's just that way. And (laughs) I ignore him, and I pay attention to the other people. And um, so, so... I don't think that I'm that great of a preacher, and by now you really know that. And I don't think that Leviticus is all that accessible, really. Can we just be honest and say that it takes a little more work to get into Leviticus and and find something there that blesses you? But I think that the Spirit of God who inspired the writing of Leviticus is also the Spirit of God who's alive in the hearts of people who actually have been saved and know Jesus. And Jesus said that his people know his voice, and so I just think when you've got a church that's made up of regenerate people, you can preach the word of God and it will connect with something inside them because God put the something inside them to respond well to the proclamation of God's word. So you can have that hope. You can, if you have a regenerate church, you can have the, not every church of regenerate people are where they ought to be, but you can have the hope that God will cultivate in that church of regenerate people a hunger for the Word of God. So it also says here that there are, in verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and, and, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And so you've got signs and wonders that are happening here. And I just want to say that if you've got a regenerate church, you have the hope that the Holy Spirit will be at work among them in ways that are hard for you to understand. Now listen, although we're getting very close to to the time change day, and whenever that happens, somebody is going to post online that it's Benny Hinn Sunday, that everybody's going to fall back. Uh, And... And although that's coming, and listen, that's not me. 
I, I just, I want you to know, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power and work of the Holy Spirit. I'm just, I'm not a Pentecostal. I'm not a charismatic. Uh, uh, once I did put my hands up in worship, but I repented of that uh, and put them back down. And I'm just a, I'm just a really, you know, kind of rural, small church, Southern Baptist kind of guy. That's who I am through and through. But, but I believe in the work and power of the Holy Spirit, uh, especially in a congregation of believers. Chris Johnson's a member of my church. He had surgery five years ago, abdominal surgery, that resulted in an infection. And that infection has caused him to have so many surgeries that not only have I lost count, but he's lost count. As time after time after time, they've gone in to try to clean out infection and get things working again in his digestive tract and in his abdomen. Uh, I've joked with him that, that his peritoneum is the most popular tourist attraction in Farmersville, Texas. More, more people have looked at the inside of his body than have looked at anything else, including the Audie Murphy Memorial uh, there in the, in the town of Farmersville. And really, he's lost weight. It's been financially devastating. It's been emotionally devastating for him and for his wife, Amanda, and for Aubrey and Mackenzie, his kids, and for Linda, his mom, and for so many people who have been drug along on this journey. And finally, he had yet another surgery where the doctors would not even promise that they could do anything. They said, we're going we're gonna to look in again and see if maybe things are where we can, uh, we can finish this for you and get you well. And our church just decided that we'd had enough. And we went to his house and we gathered on his front yard the neighbors hated us. You couldn't park a car anywhere for four blocks uh, on that street because it was completely filled up, every nook and cranny, with Baptist vehicles, which in Texas are mostly suburban, so they take up a lot of space. We burn fossil fuels in Texas. That's <laughs> Our economy's built on that, so we're just self-preservation. But anyway... Um, we all gathered around his Sunday school class, deacons, pastors, friends. We all gathered around and put hands on him, and we just prayed. We'd prayed for him before, but, but we just prayed all together, boldly, simply, recognizing the authority and sovereignty of God to do what he wanted, but making our request known. And... The next day came and he went to surgery and they fixed everything. And yesterday he texted me and said, I've been 100% released to go back to normal life after five years of having everything stolen from me. It's like Job at the end of the book. Everything restored. Now, you know, we've prayed for a lot of people who died, prayed for a lot of people who wound up having other kind of problems. But the fact that God did what he needed to do in other circumstances doesn't mean that God didn't answer our prayers with regard to Chris. 
And the thing about it is, <clears throat> I didn't put a committee together to have a program to plan the prayer day for Chris Johnson out in his yard. Regenerate people in my church are just people who do that naturally. And that's the beauty of having a church full of people who have been saved is that there are things that they will do naturally that reflect the fact that the Holy Spirit is just inside them and there are things that God will do in response to who they naturally are and what they naturally do that will be a blessing to you and to your church and to the people who are around you. Because the most powerful thing that happens in a church happens in the spirits of the membership of the church. That fuels everything else. And it's the presence of the Spirit of God inside them that makes that happen. And then, you know, not only can you dare to hope that they'll love each other, that the Holy Spirit will be at work in them, that they'll have a hunger for the Word of God, but you can also hope that God will provoke in them generosity. Because I want to tell you that I don't think communism is in Acts chapter 2 at all. Because, you know, I don't see the state anywhere in here coming in to take some sort of central planning for the, for, the, for the distribution of goods or ownership of property or the means of production or anything like that. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't read these people talking about Adam Smith or Karl Marx here. What I see is just generosity. It's really just generosity. There... There's no limit of generosity past which you've become a communist. <clears throat> and there's no level of capitalism at which you have to commit to be stingy. The fact of the matter is what happens here in Acts chapter 2 is just that the Holy Spirit moves people to meet needs through radical generosity, such that it says here, in verse 44, all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. I've seen radical generosity happen in the hearts of people who love Jesus. Here's a story from my little church that's been around for a long time. Uh, it's also a story from a part of uh, Southern Baptist history. I had a friend who was doing a PhD paper in church history, and uh, he was researching the 75 million campaign, which is a precursor to the cooperative program. Lee Scarborough took a big role in trying to lead that, that campaign to raise money for all the things that Southern Baptists were doing. It sort of gave birth to the cooperative program. What happened is this. People made pledges before the Great Depression and then needed to pay them after the Great Depression hit. And so as a result of that, what came in versus what had been promised, there was a gap, substantial gap. And, um, and my buddy came to me and said, I was reading through all of this and I found your church. I said, I got to know about that. And he said, Scarborough wrote about this. Scar Scarborough went to your church, First Baptist Farmersville, 
and your church had made a good pledge, but economic conditions had changed, and they couldn't meet it. And they brought everything together on that day, and they passed the plate and came up with another offering, and they were short. And they were disappointed in themselves. And Scarborough said that a widow in your church sold her wedding ring and brought the money from that and used it to get your church over their goal, over what they had pledged. If you've lost your husband, it's hard to let go of your wedding ring. But if you've found the Savior, it creates in you a generosity that can be hard to explain. Some of you may be thinking today, why are you preaching on this to a bunch of Baptists who already believe all of this? Shouldn't you be trying to convict us about something that we need to grow on or whatever? Well, I just want to tell you why I'm doing this. One, I hope you'll preach about it. Because we can talk about stuff all we want to, but anything that you can't preach in Baptist life, you can't propagate. I think we need to commit ourselves to preaching about the things that we believe so that they'll be passed down to the generations below us. But the second reason that I would do it is this. I want to dare you to do two things. I want to dare you to hope for your church the things that only those with a regenerate church can hope for. Because we believe in the regenerate membership of the church, dare to believe that the Holy Spirit will do things in them that will make them look like saints. Dare to believe that the Spirit of God will move on your... Expect great things from them. Dare to believe that the Holy Spirit will move them to behave and speak and act and give and love in ways inexplicable to the world that can only be sorted out by thinking, oh yeah, God's alive in them. And they do things like that. Dare to expect that of your church. And the last thing I would say is this. Cultivate a fervency about sharing the gospel with children and students in your church as though you believed in regenerate church membership. Because sometimes I think we act like it's just automatic that our kids are going to come to faith in Christ. It's not automatic. In no way whatsoever. We have a student baptism day coming up on the calendar for Southern Baptists. It's a new thing. It's a new thing. Uh, Shane Pruitt tweeted about that this morning. I retweeted Shane's tweet about that this morning. Somebody replied to me just before I came in here and said, I'm over here drowning in cynicism offended by the idea that we're having student baptism Sunday. Cynical about the very existence of that. You know what? 
I think the thing that we ought to be cynical about more than anything else is when we devote all of our energy to, I'll step on my toes first, devote all our energy, energy to making sure that our kids go to 4-H meetings and shows and the sport I love more than any other, baseball, going to baseball tournaments, St. Louis Cardinals are the greatest team ever to exist on the face of the earth. I thank you very much. I had you until then. Now it's all blown, uh, the, whole, the whole sermon. Um, we make sure that our kids get to their dance recitals and whatever else. And we have parents in our churches that neglect the spiritual upbringing of their children as though they think that it's automatic, that they're going to come to faith in Christ. But listen, you're not a member of the church, and nothing is automatic and, and for sure until the Spirit of God has brought you to salvation individually on your own. Only then are you really a part of the church. And as a church of regenerate members, we should be calling people to faith in Christ. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we give thanks to you for the gospel that brought us the hope of salvation in the first place. Help us to remember that there is only one doorway into the church. Help us to remember that the gospel is powerful to save and also powerful to change. We ask, Lord, that you will give us an untarnished, undying vision for a church full of people who look like they really love you and have been loved by you and are living every day in your presence and with your guidance. That is our heritage, not just as Baptists, but as Christians. Teach us, Lord, to live in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.